0: And I'm face to face with this tiger, literally 10 inches face away from the tiger's face. I was, (laughs) I can't even describe the feeling that I had, which was my heart's pounding. And all I'm thinking of is I got to stay calm here. But it was also extremely challenging because nobody gives you a book saying, okay, here's how to run a company and here's how to grow a company. And for what it was worth, Carolyn was always pretty upfront with the fact nobody told me how to do it. But it really worked. And I just kind of kept going with the lessons that I'd pick up along the way. It's was like, okay, that seems to be working. Let's build on that. And I know a lot of other people who would say that's the craziest way to try to do business. But it worked for me. My name is Tom McCormick. I am with Resources Real Estate. We're located in Monmouth County, which is central New Jersey, suburban community of New York, right along the coastline. I'm 58 years old, and I am happy to be here. And what's your company? Resources Real Estate. We're an independent real estate brokerage. We sell residential and commercial properties in Monmouth County, which is central New Jersey at the beginning of the coastline. It's primarily a residential market, especially since we're an easy commute to Manhattan, but we also service the beach community. So there's a fair amount of secondary homes as well. We're a marketer of luxury homes, but truly sell across all price points and love niche markets like waterfront, historic properties, and new construction as well.
1: This is a 2X winner of the Inc. 5000? Three times, actually. Three times now. Okay. Well, congratulations on that. And then you also said you won an award. Do you want to briefly touch about that?
0: Yeah, we've won multiple awards. We've won Inc. 5000 for three years in a row. We've been recognized by New Jersey Biz 250, which is the top 250 privately owned companies in New Jersey. We've been part of the Forbes Real Estate Council for several years. We actually just got named as a top workplace for 2019 by NJ.com. And we've been recognized for our marketing as well through Who's Who in Luxury Real Estate. We've been honored for best overall marketing package, as well as most innovative marketing technique, and for our company culture. And we've been invited to be part of the Board of Regents Luxury Real Estate.
1: How many agents or brokers do you all have in locations?
0: Currently, we have four sales offices. We have about 80 agents and staff altogether. In addition to the sales office, we have a corporate office, a training center, and video studio. This past year, we expanded our commercial real estate division and opened a title company, Resources Title, as well as a real estate school, New Jersey Real Estate Prep. And we just opened a new office in Shrewsbury just recently, Shrewsbury, New Jersey. And we're in the process of opening another brokerage that will be just for referral agents.
1: Well, this is interesting that you're kind of spinning off of, instead of just being brokerage house, you're talking about becoming, got your own title company and real estate school as well?
0: Yes. The business of real estate, residential anyway, has become extremely, it's always been competitive, but it's becoming even more so. The nature of the business has been rapidly changing, in part because of technology But in a lot of ways, just the business models have been changing. Disruption is the mantra for our industry. Every week, (laughs) it seems like there's somebody new who's coming up with a new form of disruption. So to be competitive and to stay afloat, it's important to find whatever revenue streams we can. So title is certainly a logical offshoot of that. The real estate school is providing a way for us to identify some new talent as well as create some revenue streams there as well. So we're just always looking for new ways to expand what we offer and be able to be more comprehensive.
1: I think it's kind of smart. I mean, usually I just hear stick to one thing, and, but you're still within your industry, if you will. But having these offsets of income in case something happens, are you co-owner of that as well? Is there like an LLC that owns all these different ones and you're the owner of it?
0: Well, I am partners in the company. So Resources Real Estate has its hand, if you will, in we're a partner in the title company and my late business partner, Carolyn Diacon, are the two owners of the LLC that owns the real estate school. Basically, it's all part of the
1: same pot. How long have you had this company, the Resources Real Estate? The company was founded by
0: my late business partner, Carolyn Diacon, in 2000 she had a great deal of experience she had been a top agent for many years had been a manager for a local company for a while and then decided to create her own company in 2000 i joined her in 2002 as a brand new licensee didn't have any background in real estate at all and then in 2010 became partner in the company it was at that point that we were kind of a much smaller company when i joined in 2002 I don't know what the overall sales numbers might have been, but I was one of maybe three agents. We had one office. We're really tiny sort of mom and pop. In 2010, when Carolyn asked if I wanted to join her as a partner, the stated goal was let's grow this company. Let's make this into something substantial. So at that point in 2010, there were probably about 20 agents and staff altogether, one office, and the dollar volume sales were about 28 million this past year. Our dollar volume was $170 million and we saw an increase of 20% in our unit sales just from last year. As I said, we have about 80 agents and staff with the four offices and the other entities.
1: Which I think it's pretty cool. Anyone who's listening now, maybe they don't own their own business, but they have that entrepreneurial mindset, and they start off like you. Maybe they're their first, second, third employee, and they have an opportunity to come in there and really grow it. And your ability in 2010, to, even though you weren't quote-unquote partner or co-owner at that point, I guess you're still working. Hard, she saw potential obviously in you and to ask you to become a partner, but that you took that opportunity and took it under your wing as your own business and was your own business at that point and be able to really grow it because you don't have to be just the guy who was there day one to be a business person and grow a business
0: exactly. And I think the other part, and this may be different from a lot of other industries, but in real estate, as an agent, you're an independent contractor, so you have to work under the management and supervision of a broker. So she was my broker, resources, real estate was the brokerage, and I was an independent contractor. But you're in a sense, I mean, what I teach my agents all the time is that to be a successful agent, you have to think like an entrepreneur. You have to think as if you're in business for yourself, because in a lot of ways you are. Although the brokerage can provide certain support services and lead generation and other things that might be of benefit to you, the vast majority of them provide little or nothing. And as a result, the agents who rise to the top are the ones who take it on as if they're in business for themselves, because for all
1: intents and purposes, they are. We'll jump into those tactics and different things that you use to grow your business. So anyone who's listening, even if they're not in the real estate industry, that they could learn and think like you did in order to grow the business from there. I didn't want to wait till the end to talk about this because I think it's important to talk about now. And this is why I want to talk a little bit more about the beginning right now. I originally reached out to your partner, Carolyn, and she responded back and said to talk to you about it. And do you want to just talk about what happened there?
0: So Carolyn, as I said, we became partners in 2010 in 2013, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she had been treated for it. She had a double mastectomy. She did chemo. And it was not a happy time. It was not very easy for her. But she was always very, very tough and fought it and had the greatest amount of positivity you can imagine and transparency, if that even makes sense. She was sort of an open book, even with all the agents about it. She was good for a couple of years and didn't have any signs of cancer. And then it came back. She had a difficult time with it, but then she was put on a drug trial at uh, Sloan Kettering, which prolonged her life for probably another year and a half. And that stopped working and she passed away.
1: When I had initially talked to her, I mean, she responded to me and didn't mention that. But the next thing I knew, I was on the call with you and you mentioned that and it happened. Obviously, sorry for the loss. I mean, at least it sounds like y'all were ready for her to actually pass away versus maybe just a sudden where she might have passed away overnight. That's, again, something that we don't always think about as far as our partners passing away.
0: Right. And I think that's a very important thing for people to understand if they're going to be in business with other people, to try to think about worst case scenarios up front. It's just smart. We were fortunate insofar as the way that we structured our partnership in terms of the division of labor. I became managing partner when I became her partner, which meant that I was really in charge of the day-to-day. And a big part of what I was responsible for The goal was let's grow the company. And that was about as detailed as our business plan got. And it was just, let's recruit talent. Let's open other locations. Let's see how we can improve our marketing. It was really nothing all that specific. And it was just left to me to figure out, all right, if we're going to scale this business, how do we do that? And how do we do that based on the fact that we're now just a small operation in one location and we want to be in multiple locations and what are the cost efficiencies and what are the technologies that we need to adopt and the systems and whatnot. And that fell to me. And it was a good fit for me because I think I have a head for thinking about how to systematize things and how to create structure where there was none. And that was in some ways very enervating, but it was also extremely challenging because nobody gives you, I mean, at least for me, nobody gives you a book Saying, okay, here's how to run a company and here's how to grow a company. And for what it was worth, Carolyn was always pretty upfront with the fact nobody told me how to do it. I just kind of figured it out. That was good in so far as there was no real expectation. It wasn't like, okay, here comes Tom with an MBA and he's supposed to know what he's talking about. (laughs) It was more, all right, let's put our heads together and what do you think is the best way to get from A to B and let's see if we can grow it from there.
1: In order to stay competitive in today's world, it's so important that we keep learning and developing our skills. That's what The Great Courses Plus is all about. And while you'll love this service, Founded on the idea that education should be accessible to everyone, they make it possible to learn from the brightest minds out there that most of us would never otherwise have access to. Professors from the best universities in the world like Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. Even experts from National Geographic and the Smithsonian. This is college-level learning, but without the student loans or the pressure of homework or grades. And the Great Courses Plus app makes it possible to learn whichever way works best for you. Watch or listen to lectures at any time. I recommend checking out the Critical Business Skills for Success. There you'll learn more about strategy, operations, finance, organizational behavior, and marketing from some of the top business school professors in the country, sharing tools and insights that you'd get from an MBA program. Unlock a world of knowledge with the Great Courses Plus. Right now, they're giving my listeners a special limited-time offer, a free month of unlimited access to the entire library. But to get this offer, you need to sign up now through my special URL. Start your free month today. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash millionaire. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash millionaire. Or to find out more about this special offer, check out our episode notes below for more information. Why don't we talk about your background? And I guess we obviously know now that you don't have an MBA, but you went to college and coming out, I guess there's a couple entrepreneurial things that you mentioned in our pre-interview. That if you want to briefly talk about those and leading up to the real estate company, what you learned, and then we can talk about, again, how you grew resources real estate to where it is today.
0: Sure. I attended university at Northwestern for two years, and I was going to be a journalism major until I learned that I really had no interest (laughs) working for a newspaper or being a reporter. I came back home, which I grew up in Westchester County in New York. And wound up finishing my degree at State University of New York at Purchase, literature major. I was going to become a playwright and started working in theater, not in a performance capacity, but in the literary departments. Had to figure out how I was going to make a living because theater doesn't pay anything. Wound up in a temp job at HBO, which turned into a three-month position, which turned into a career without any real effort or goal on my part, it just sort of happened and had somebody who trained me how to be a production manager and line producer and TV. And that turned into a freelance situation. I was a freelancer in television for about 15 years. And in a lot of ways, I think that prepared me to go into real estate as an independent contractor where you're only earning based on your sales commission. I was used to that sort of mindset of the ebb and flow of freelance when sometimes you have cash and sometimes you don't and you just try to learn to make your piece with it and figure out how to make it all work. Part of the reason that I left HBO was I wanted to, I mentioned I was an aspiring playwright, I was also at one point an aspiring singer-songwriter, So I was recording and I was performing and playing out. I had a band and started my own record company and tried to make a go of that. And I had reasonable success. I had a lot of fun with that. And while I was doing that, I connected with an organization called Out Music, which was sort of a collective of gay and lesbian music makers of all different genres and whatnot. That inspired a friend of mine, Michael Mitchell and I, to create something called Glamour, which was the Gay Lesbian American Music Awards. And that was probably my first experience of trying to create something from scratch. And it was tremendously exciting because literally you're just making it up as you go and figuring out how do we do this and how do we get a level of respect from an industry that knows nothing about us. And we were able to put together a, a really good board of advisors that ranged from, at one point, we had Bob Cuccione Jr., who was then the editor-publisher of Spin Magazine. We had Larry Flick, who was the dance music editor at Billboard. We had A&R people. We had people from all across the music industry And we grew it into a substantial program. It was a national program. We did concerts across the U.S. We did our national awards show in New York once a year. And we kept it going for about probably six years. In a lot of ways, it was coming out of my pocket. I was paying for a lot of it. So part of the equation that I was not good at in that regard was the fundraising aspect to try to make it happen. But one of the things that I learned from that, which is really was a good lesson and has helped me in my years in real estate, is just the attitude that you bring to it and the positivity and just keeping your focus on what you're trying to achieve makes it happen. I mean, subsequently, I became an advisor on A similar type of project. And I was amazed by their budget. Their budget was literally like 10 times what our budget was. And our end product was, in my opinion, far superior. It's sort of an interesting experience because the goal wasn't to make a lot of money, the goal was to create something and change the culture. I had lived in New York all that time. And when I moved to New Jersey, the television that I was working on was primarily graphics related. And we had some change-ups with some of the clients that we were working with. And I had to decide, what am I going to do? And I didn't really want to commute to New York at that point. I had just moved out of New York and had to figure out what I was going to do. And I kind of stumbled into real estate and met Carolyn. And she said, I'll teach you how to do it. And I worked my butt off and did really quite well with it. And then she invited me to become partner. One of the interesting things was very early on, actually, in our working relationship, she had said to me, she was a big fan of Barbara Corcoran. And Barbara wrote a book about her experiences coming up and starting her company. And she had this one person who was working working. For her, And she said, let's get together and you can help me keep on the right path to build this company. Carolyn said to me, she goes, that's who you are to me. She goes, I feel like together, I don't have the strong suit and the back office stuff and the organizing. She was always kind of the big picture and great at building relationships. And she was very creative, very smart. She says, I think you have the ability to give some structure to this that will help support my whims and craziness. So at the time, I was interested, but I was concerned that it was going to be too unstructured. And so we tried for a little while and it wasn't quite working. We kind of put it away. And then I don't know how many years later, it was probably at least four or five years later got my broker's license, and at that point, she said, okay, let's do this for real. Let's figure this out, and that's when we formed the partnership. We grew significantly, so from fall of 2010, when we had the one office and about 20 agents, over the next three years we or two years, we opened three more offices, probably tripled our agent count and increased our market share significantly and became at that point, I think we became a player in our market before we were just sort of seen as a sort of a small entity.
1: Well, why don't I bring you back to right when you joined as an agent, and then I'm going to cut in from time to time, if you don't mind, and we'll just kind of take it year by year before you even became a partner. And again, I think anybody who's listening, who doesn't have their own business, it's like getting in sales. Like you were saying, your first job coming out was in sales. That's almost the perfect way to start because it's basically like running your own business. You got to think about how generating revenue, because if you don't do that and you start your quote unquote own business right away, then you're trying all this other stuff instead of actually growing sales Then you're never going to be able to have a sustainable business, obviously. How old were you when you decided to make the transition to, you have not here on LinkedIn February 2002. How old were you at that point in time and how much money did you have saved up when you wanted to become a real estate agent from all the other things that you've been doing?
0: When I got into real estate in 2002, I was, what was I? I was 40 years old. I I was really concerned about this being a midlife crisis thing. And it didn't feel that way, but I was so afraid that it was going to be like, oh, here he goes, this midlife crisis, it's going to be a crash and burn. So I just decided that failure was not an option. I had only recently purchased my first home with my husband, and I had a mortgage to pay. Previously, when I went off onto these ventures, like when I did the Gay Lesbian American Music Awards, I was renting. My overhead was pretty limited, but now I was feeling the weight of a monthly mortgage payment and these other expenses. I got into real estate really kind of blindly in a lot of ways. I had no knowledge of what it was really about, aside from basics that I had learned in the pre-licensing class, which is really all about the legalities and not a lot about how to make a living.
1: How much money did you have saved up? Do you have a recollection? I don't remember.
0: I didn't have very much. I mean, I will say that my husband was my safety net. So we were sharing expenses, but I know that there were a couple of months there where I was not able to produce. But I want to say I had maybe six months. I don't even know if I had that much, maybe more like somewhere between three and six months worth saved.
1: This is important again, because if you're going straight, if this is 100% commission too, you've got to at least have some runway. So there's got to be some right when you start, you're like, hey, I need to start figuring out how to make money as soon as possible.
0: Absolutely. Well, especially because in real estate sales, typically a closing is going to take, if there's a mortgage involved, it's going to take at least 30, probably more like 45 days. So even if on day one you sell a house, you're not going to see a paycheck for a month and a half. Like I said, I was a freelancer for many years, so that was not a foreign concept to me. I see a lot of people in business who that initial transition from a salaried position into God only knows when I'm going to get paid is a very, very challenging experience. But since I was more comfortable with that, I was sort of much more in tune with my spending habits. I was very frugal. I was very careful. So going into it, I was very wary of it. But at the same time, I was very conscious of part of my background in television was working with companies that. Worked on brand identity and marketing. So, even though I wasn't doing any creative in those positions, I was witnessing and having firsthand experience with the people who were, which really helped me a lot. And I kind of got this impression, true or false, that I could do it. And so, when I got into real estate, I said, you know, it's not enough for me just to tread water and live frugally. I have to invest in my business at the same time. I can't just hope that people are going to find me. And there's certainly income producing activities that you can do as an agent to try to attract business, but I really wanted to ramp it up. I wanted to try to make it happen more quickly, especially because I moved to this area just a few years before. And I frequently say to people, I'm antisocial. I don't really even like people as a rule. I say that half joking, but part of me is just, I'm an introvert. I'm perfectly happy to stay at home and play piano or work in the garden and not see people. So in a lot of ways, the idea of me, this person who had no sales experience whatsoever and is admittedly antisocial, is going to go out there and create business in an area where I literally, I didn't know anybody. And I didn't even know the streets. I mean, I didn't know anything about the towns. I didn't know the streets that surrounded me. So I had to really... Hit the ground running. And my husband, who is in sales, was like, okay, this is what you got to do. You got to get out there. You got to start meeting people. You got to start getting people to understand, like, this is what I do. And I also invested in direct mail marketing, which I did myself. I created the graphics, I had the things printed, I was my own mailhouse, and I was doing that significantly enough that it did seem to make an impact fairly quickly in so far as people started to recognize me as a real presence in certain markets even before I had any real sales to back it
1: up when you got in your 2002. And again, I, I want to point out your age when you made this transition to because if anyone who's listening and maybe they are around 40 and they're like, hey, it's too late for me to start my business. Obviously, you got into the real estate at that point and weren't even an owner and just still working on it. So it doesn't really matter your age, but want to know exactly what you did to ramp up your sales. So again, we're not just talking to real estate agents. We're talking to people in all different types of businesses, what worked and what didn't work for you. But also when you got into it, it sounded like this was when when real estate was still hot, right? I mean, you were getting in while things were hot. So the momentum was you're riding that wave up to that point. So just tell us what was working and what didn't for anyone who's listening.
0: And this is probably true of a lot of other industries for all I know. But in real estate, because the bar for entry is so low, it's pretty hard not to To be able to qualify to be an agent, it's gotten a little bit, the bar is set a little bit higher now because there's certain continuing education requirements. But in 2002, there was literally nothing more than you had to take a 75-hour class, pass the test, sit for the state exam, and answer a few questions saying that you don't have any kind of criminal background. And presto, you're an agent. There are literally thousands of agents that are out there. I'm sure hundreds every single day getting their license. Everybody with a hope and a dream. And I was one of them. Nobody was really saying, okay, you got to do this. You got to do that. Carolyn was certainly guiding me in certain ways, but a lot of what I did was kind of just gut instinct from the seat of my pants. And some things worked and some things didn't. What did work was when i was waiting in between the time of passing the class as soon as i walked out of that class i called the place that you scheduled the state exam and i had to wait a month everybody was pouring into real estate at this point typically doesn't take that long but it took me a month to get my exam scheduled during that month i was continuing to study but also trying to figure out all right what do i do and my background in event production and in my own music career, because I had my own mailing list and all that, I put those tools to work. So I had a CRM, a database that I had been using. At first, it was all for my music. And then it became part of the what we used for the Gay and American Music Awards. And I said, all right, I think I need to create a database for real estate. And of course, I didn't know anybody. (laughs) So it's like, who am I going to put into my database if I don't know anybody? So I was going around online and I found a site, a public site that listed all of the property owners in the county. And I decided, okay, all of these people in these various towns... I should put in my database. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them all, but I'm going to put them in. And I didn't even know a lot of what some of the data that was in the records and some of these county tax records it will say the page from when these all used to be in books, what page number this property is on. And so I just mapped every field that I could fit from the tax site, downloaded as a CSV file, uploaded into my database program, and hoped that I would be able to figure out what to do with the data later on once I understood what they were talking about. I didn't know what a lot number was or a block number and all this stuff. I had about 25,000 names in my database from the start and I just started to try to figure out ways to wrangle the data. I was looking at the assessed values of the properties. So what wound up happening, like when I got my first listing, I said, okay, I got to get on the radar of the people in this market and hopefully maybe find a buyer for it at the same time. My routine at the time was to go into my database and go into the town that this property was listed in. Sort by the total assessed value of the properties and take the top 500 property owners in that town. So I would do a mailing. One of my very first listings, it was a couple that had tried to sell their house previously a couple of years before and didn't succeed. And I sent them a letter, reached out to them, and I said, I think you might be surprised by how much your house is worth because things were appreciating at such a rapid rate. And I met with them, I got the listing, I created this direct mail piece. This is a town called Atlantic Highlands, which is right on the Raritan Bay, looking straight toward New York. And there's a high-speed ferry. It's great for commuters, especially for lower Manhattan, Wall Street. My client worked on Wall Street, and he took the ferry to work. And he says, you know, I got on the ferry the other day, and all of my buddies that I sit with pull out this postcard. And it was the postcard that I sent. And I was like, okay. So that's exactly working. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reach the highest level asset-wise to create my own brand awareness. And hopefully they'll know somebody who will be interested in purchasing your home. Because of that instance of all these guys on the ferry holding up the cards, I decided, all right, this makes sense. So every time I got a new listing, I did the same thing. And I took the top 500 people value-wise and sent it to them. And I kept expanding on it. So after, I'm not sure how long it took, I was up to maybe sending out 2,500 postcards a month. And I was doing it all in-house, not the printing of the cards, but I was feeding the postcards through my laser printer to address them and It was an ordeal. Every mailing took like three days to get out, but it really did create an awareness. I learned a lot in terms of marketing and the power of creating a perception. And I think that that is one of the most important things I've ever learned is that it's not necessarily who you are or what you are. It's what other people think you are. (laughs) And if you can get them to And I don't mean to misrepresent, I'm not about that, but I'm just saying if you can get them to understand or see you as the go-to person, then obviously it's going to be a lot easier to get the sale. So at one point I had a client, she was a for sale by owner and she was younger than I was very successful, worked on wall street. I met with her. I sent her something in the mail. She called me up And she said, you know, I know you're brand new, but I like you and you seem to know this market better than anybody else that I've spoken with. And I know a lot of realtors. In fact, my mother, who in the same town, my mother is listed with an agent from another company. So anyway, she listed with me. She proceeded to get her mother to list with me. She proceeded then to encourage her mother's next door neighbor who was selling his house for sale by owner to list with me. And then she tells me, oh, by the way, the dentist across the street from my mom is getting a divorce and I think they might be selling their house. So, of course, he was on my mailing list for these postcards. What did I do? I changed to dentist <laughs> and I'm sitting in the chair waiting for him. And he walks in and he says, Tom McCormick, I can't believe you're sitting in my chair. And I'm thinking, this guy's yanking my chain. Like I had no idea what his game was. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you are like Mr. Real Estate. He goes, I can't believe that you're sitting here on my chair. Now, meanwhile, across the street from his house, he had two properties side by side, both with my name and sign in it, which is pretty uncommon to begin with, that neighbors list with the exact same person. And he had been getting the postcards from each of those when they got listed, plus whatever else sent him previously in town. I think I had only sold one house by that point. But in his mind, I was the guy who did real estate in this town. And of course, I wasn't going to ask what his data points were, but it really worked. And I just kind of kept going with the lessons that I'd pick up along the way. I was like, okay, that seems to be working. Let's build on that. And I know a lot of other people who would say that's the craziest way to try to do business, but it worked for me. And it really did help to create a perception and a brand awareness. And funnily enough, too, at the time, resources real estate was quite small and really an unknown entity for the vast majority of people out there, especially in this market that I was targeting. Everybody I met with, this was the first time that they had ever heard of the company. And a lot of times they assumed I was the owner, which I would correct them if they had said that. But it was incumbent on me to not only educate them about me, but to educate them about this whole brand and That was also where I learned telling stories was really what marketing is about. And client relationships are built on stories. And if you can learn how to tell a story. So when I got involved with resources.
1: Do you mind if I stop you there? Just because you've gone on for a while. I mean, I was so quiet because I think that was super important to stuff you did even in the beginning because you were only like, what, a month or two maybe into your job when you were sitting down in the dentist chair and he thought you were the man who knew all this stuff about real estate. It was probably about six months into it. It wasn't one month. So you're six months in, but anyways, his perception is that you're the master of this area, right? That you know all this, but I think that was so smart because I did something similar when I was doing commercial real estate loans is I was able to find a database of loans and bring that out and download that as a CSV file. If anyone doesn't know, just think of Excel. It's an Excel file basically. And you're saying for each market, which was super smart, whenever you got a listing or whatever, you had 25,000 properties and then you wanted to deal with the people who had the most money or highest assessed values. So. So whenever you went to a city, you'd sort that city and then you'd pick the top 500 or whatever in that area. So when you went to go get that like Excel list, did you end up getting that for free from the county when you went down there? Because yeah. I think this is, yeah, this is super important for anyone who's thinking if you can start off with the biggest data set, like I said, it's all about this data set in the beginning. Because if you didn't have this to begin with, I imagine most of their agents are like talking to family members or something like that and starting off with 100, maybe 200 people to think of versus you're starting off with 25. Five thousand versus like what they're dealing with and then at the same point in time their family and friends They might say their name and stuff, but what happens if they don't even own any real estate? They're really not your target versus you. At least you have people who actually own real estate in those names when you sort that files. I think it's just super important if we spend a little bit of time talking about that. I don't think that's talked about enough coming in with a data set, thinking about who's going to be your actual clients and sorting them through each market you went through and just sending these people mailers who own real estate.
0: Yeah. Again, I was just kind of going blind, but just sort of basing it on what made sense to me. I stumbled across. I didn't realize it beforehand. Nobody told me about it. But in a lot of municipalities, a lot of counties, the tax records are, I mean, it's all public record, but these days, a lot of them have it accessible online. So I found it online and I found that I was able to download the information at no cost. I just had to figure out what the search parameters were. So I just did it pretty broad based. I just said these various zip codes and towns and everybody within it And once it was in the database, then I had to kind of figure out, all right, what do I do with it? And when I talked about sending the 500 postcards to the top 500 assessed property owners, it wasn't because the property that I was selling was high end, but it just struck me if I'm going to target market anybody, I want to target the people with the most money. It just seemed to make the most sense to me. Because I had 25,000 people in the database, but that didn't mean I had the money to send 25,000 postcards every month. So that was important. The other thing was to then to really look at the data. What was it presenting? What kind of answers might it be offering? Like, What questions did I have to come up with? Because I didn't even know at the time, even though I was a property owner at that point, I didn't really quite understand the whole concept of the assessed value. So I thought, all right, well, does that mean that's what it's sold for? No, that means so that's what the tax assessor thinks. And trying to figure out, all right, what do I do with that? And then realizing that some of those properties frequently the highest assessed values were for commercial properties. So they weren't, I was really focused on residential. So I had to weed those kinds of people out. But then as I was able to raise my price point in terms of my average sale price. I realized that field that I had imported into the database was really helpful because I could figure out whatever home I might be selling. Generally speaking, you're looking for a trade up buyer. If you've got a house for 500, that might be a trade up from somebody who's in a condo or I mean, back then the prices were very different, but just trying to look at it strategically, like maybe I need to focus on people who own homes in this price range. And then when I started to work with a number of developers selling multi-million-dollar properties, I had to figure out, all right, what range of assessed values makes the most sense for me to target, to let them know about this property that I've got so that I'm not wasting money. And this is the days before the demographic target marketing, like you've got with Facebook ads and whatnot, that wasn't available to you at that point. So you had to try to figure out your own way. The other thing that I got very deep into was, I created a website and it wasn't honestly a particularly great website, but it did require people to give me their information. A lot of times it was simply an email address. And again, this was 2003, 2004, the level of spam email hadn't reached the peak that it has now. So people were a little bit more forthcoming, I think, with their email address. I would get these email addresses and frequently I didn't know who they were because they didn't give me a name. They didn't give me any search parameters. So I didn't know if they were a buyer or a seller or what town or what price point or anything like that. I was just dumping everybody into the database and I was creating a monthly email and I used constant contact, I still do. And I would send out a regular monthly email and it was just sort of blanket to everybody. I found a lot of times people would opt out and it dawned on me, all right, the people that I met last weekend at this $900,000 house in this town, they don't care about this $450,000 house in this other town. So if, if I send them an email about that new listing for four they're going to say, I don't want this. This doesn't apply to me. So I started to try to get really targeted. What I did was I created... It was almost like a little website, but it was in email. And within the email, there were multiple boxes. So each box was a separate town that I serviced. And within each box, there was a button for active, available homes, recently sold, what else? Open houses... Eventually, I got into adult community and rental and whatnot. But the idea was that in constant contact and MailChimp and these other services, you can see what people click on. And I actually tried to get constant contact to automate this. And they said, it's a great idea, but we're not doing it. But the idea was that if somebody who clicked on available meant that they were most likely a buyer. And if they're clicking on that specific town, obviously, they're interested in available homes in that town. So I could start to create sub lists of people, whether they were showing buyer behavior or seller behavior, like the recent sales that was going to be more, the sellers would be clicking on that. And I could target my emails accordingly. So if I got a new listing in a specific town, I wouldn't send it to everybody in the database. I would send it just to the people who had somehow expressed interest in that town, whether it was a buyer or seller, that kind of a thing. Just trying to find different ways to figure out what people were up to, like what their motivation was, so that I could target the message to them and hopefully keep them engaged.
1: You're using a different type of technology, making sure that you weren't, quote unquote, spamming people because you want those people to be on your list. You'd rather send them an email once every six months of a targeted one versus one every month to everybody, and then you just have half the people opt out. Right, exactly. Again, it's smart just looking at being able to get these people in because, again, that's what matters for you to sell. And it sounds like, at least based upon your first few months or being known as the real estate guy in different sub markets, that everything must have been going pretty well even even when you started.
0: Yeah, I didn't know. I had no way to really gauge whether I was doing well or not. My first year, my take home was about 35000 My second year, it had doubled, and it was to almost 75. And the third year, that had doubled, and I was at like 150-ish. So of course, going into my business planning for the fourth year, is was like, let's double it again, which didn't quite happen. But what I didn't realize was that that was atypical. It didn't take me long to realize after I'd been in business for a number of years that the vast majority of agents, they just do a handful of transactions a year. So the fact that I was able to achieve that level that quickly was, I guess, impressive. And again, it was really just based on need. I think part of the way that I'm wired is that when I am focused on something, I find it hard to do anything else, which is not a great thing when it comes to having a balance between your work life and your personal life. But it definitely meant that, like I said, failure was not an option. I was just 100 percent focused. So I was working seven days a week. I would always pick up my phone. I would never turn down business. I would go anywhere to make it happen. Honestly, I think that that's what it takes to succeed in this kind of business because there's just too much competition. I was always shocked by how many times people would say, do you realize that I've called six agents and you're the only one who's picked up their phone? And I always thought that's idiotic. Like you're a salesperson. Like why would you not pick up your phone? That's what you're paid to do.
1: We all have that friend who's the first one to try things, whether they're super trendy or more of a guinea pig. When you're making a choice, it's always nice to hear it from someone who's been there and done that. Choosing the right software for your business is no different. Read thousands of real software reviews to help you choose the right software for your business on capteracom slash millionaire. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business with over 850,000 reviews of products from real software users. Discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 categories of software. Everything from project management, to CRMs, to email marketing, to yoga studio management software. Well, just basically any category you can think of, they have covered. I used Capterra to check the top audio editing software and web conferencing software to make sure we're using the best products for editing and recording this podcast. So no matter what kind of software your business needs, Capterra makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Join the millions of people who use Capterra each month to find the right tools for their business. Visit capterra.com slash millionaire for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. capterra.com slash millionaire. Capterra, that's C-A-P-T-E. RRA.com slash millionaire. Captera. Software selection simplified. Need a new logo for your current or future business? Well Brandcrowd is an awesome logo maker tool that can help you make an amazing logo design online. If you're an entrepreneur, startup founder, innovator, thought leader, or basically anyone who owns a business, well Brandcrowd is a fantastic and easy way to get a logo. BrandCrowd takes your business name and industry and generates thousands of logos in seconds. BrandCrowd uses high-quality, handcrafted designs created by designers from around the world to create custom logos just for you. Once BrandCrowd generates a logo you like, you can edit and tweak the logo, changing fonts and colors until it is perfect for you. One of the best things about BrandCrowd is it's free to get started and begin generating logos. Plus, it's super easy to use. Once you're happy with your logo, you can download all the files you need to start your business. If you don't like any designs, no problem. You don't have to pay. So to find out more about BrandCrowd, go check out brandcrowd.com forward slash maker. That's brandcrow dcom slash maker. You had that work ethic coming in realizing that you had to do that. Again, I think that's an important factor. If you're not motivated to make this thing happen, no one's going to make it happen for you. Again, things seemed like you kept doubling, doubling, doubling. I guess there eventually was a downturn in real estate, but I know we only have limited amount of time here left. Should we talk about you being okay during that time or I don't know how things went or if we should jump to you actually growing the brokerage company because that's a different mindset of you were out hunting for your own food when you were the broker versus becoming a part owner of the company and then having to manage salespeople, which I can imagine must be a headache as far as just being able to to switch your mindset like that and trying to motivate other people versus internally just motivating yourself.
0: Yes. Becoming partner really did challenge me to figure out how to shift gears in a way to put my knowledge and skills and experience to work for the benefit of the agents working for me. I think a big part of it was really to say, hey, I'm not a BS artist. Like, I will be the first one to tell you I did all of these things and it cost me a ton of money and it didn't work. But I did these other things that maybe cost me money or didn't cost me money, and they did work. So trust me, don't do this other stuff. Save yourself the aggravation. Do this. Let me give you the benefit of what I've gone through. And of course, the business keeps changing, so that can be challenging in and of itself. What worked 10 years ago may be totally obsolete at this point. But I think my challenge now is to create a situation, create a structure where agents can focus on the important stuff, which is the face-to-face, the dealing with people, and hopefully not sweating the details of how to put together the marketing. Like all of that stuff that I was doing, we now provide for the agents. We've made a tremendous number of marketing products available to them. We've got support staff, which I never had, to help facilitate things. We've got systems and tools and technologies which can help to keep the transaction and the compliance issues in terms of documents and all that in check in a way that is much more manageable than what used to exist. For me, it's all about trying to, and I think Carolyn was always the same way, that how do you take the benefit of your experience when you know it's all about sales? And let's face it, the broker is very much interested in the agents making the sale. So you want the sales to happen. What's going to help that happen in the most productive and cost-efficient and time-efficient way? And that's really what we've tried to build.
1: How were you able to do that? Because, again, even if it's not someone listening, it's not in the real estate business, they might have salespeople that they're trying to motivate them and they want to obviously get the sales done. Again, also, you have this knowledge that you were using for yourself independently and then having to instill it to your other sales guys. How did you get them motivated and what helped or what actually might have hurt? when you're doing that? Because we want to learn from the positive things that happen and the negative things.
0: Well, I think one of the big positives and this I give Carolyn a tremendous amount of credit. We worked together on it, but she was always the one really pushing for it was the idea of company culture. And we have a very, very strong company culture. It's not a shark tank. It's not a backbiting kind of watch behind you sort of situation. It's very supportive. People help each other. People don't clamor over each other for the lead. It's not a Glengarry, Glenn Ross kind of a thing. And that's been great because it creates a family sensibility and there is a support that happens which can make a very stressful type of job a lot less stressful knowing that people are there and have your back. The flip side of that though is because we're always trying to get people motivated and keep a focus on positivity and looking forward and growing and moving forward. A lot of the natural bent of most people, I think, agents included, is they resist change. So when you bring in some sort of a new tool or technology, they can sometimes be resistant to it. So part of our natural way of operating is to not take things too seriously. We have office meetings that are fun and surprising and we always try to shake the cage a little bit. But I have to admit, sometimes I feel like we're just playing romper room, like we're trying to keep things on such an upbeat level that maybe the focus sometimes has to be much stronger on, okay, you realize you do have to sell a house though, right? Like get out there and do that. That to me is always a challenge, but it's a fun challenge.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could see that at the end of the day, all of us who have our an owner company, like want to have that positive culture, but at the end of the day, our happiness factor for everybody, but then we get so ingrained in like, we actually have to get these sales done in order for these people to at least have jobs. So I don't feel like I have the time to necessarily like have the rah-rahs or make everyone excited right. for work the whole time. Did you ever have that issue?
0: Absolutely. Sometimes I get angry. I keep it in check. It's sort of like, all right, we do a lot. And sometimes I just, and maybe it sounds like I'm just feeling sorry for myself, but Carolyn and I used to talk about it. It's like, we do so much. It, it just seems like it goes over people's heads. And a lot of it, to be honest, is I think we home grow a lot of agents, a lot of the agents that work for us. And we have very little turnover, but the agents They started with us. They don't know necessarily that they go to another competitor and the competitor provides none of this stuff. Like they just assume that all of this is given. So it's always this challenge of how do you keep them motivated and how do you remind them of all the ways that you're supporting them without it just sounding like you're constantly patting yourself on the back? And then how do you truly kind of hold their feet to the fire and say, look, this is what you got to do. Because keep in mind, again, these are independent contractors. So I don't have the ability to leverage them being an employee by saying, hey, you have to do this. I mean, I could still fire them, but in some respects, that's not always the best way to go either. So it's a very challenging
1: work model. Yeah, because I've never really been in another industry other than this real estate and podcasting. I know at least for – I'm coming from the commercial aspect, but I know residential has to be just as bad if not worse. It's like you were saying you don't have to be worried about someone like stealing your sale or whatever maybe within your company, but – A lot of brokerage houses is like, you get a listing and people are all over you. Like these are people you're quote unquote working with, but they're almost like your worst. They're dogs trying to like get your listing or making sure everything's all right. They're quote unquote to help you. But then you're like, wait, these guys really aren't my friends. I thought they were my friends, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that to me is a true point of pride that Carolyn and I always shared that our company, it it does not operate that way. There are plenty of other competitors in our market that that is them to a T. People would say, I would never even put anything in the waste paper basket because people would rifle through waste paper baskets after hours. And meanwhile, the first time I heard someone say that, this is before I was even a partner, I used to keep all of my files right on top of my desk. And I thought, wow, am I that naive? (laughs) Is that really how it works? So it's really important to me to continue that. If we feel like anybody's doing anything unethical, it's absolute grounds for dismissal. If anybody's playing loose with their colleagues, we are competitors. That's still part of it. It's not like everybody has a distinct territory and nobody can go into somebody else's territory. So we are competitors, but we've learned to balance it in a way that says, hey, we're human beings. Let's treat each other that way and let's treat each other with respect. And there will be enough business to go around. It seems to work.
1: Thank you for coming on and spending time telling your story and looking back. Is there anything else that you'd want to leave everyone who's listening with as far as any tips or advice if they're trying to grow their business to hopefully something like yours one day?
0: I think a big part of it is just learning to stay calm and close with there was A project that I worked with when I was in television and I was a freelancer at the time and it was a TV show for HBO. It was a colorful (laughs) kind of show. The story that we were doing sort of a documentary thing on was a stripper in Canada who had a very interesting show, which involved playing live music and live animals and exotic animals. And it was all above board. There was nothing kinky about it. But the interesting part of it was that she and her husband lived with a tiger, And so that this tiger who she would take up on stage with her was perfectly calm, like literally lived with them 24-7. So anyway, we get to the hotel and the producer director that I was working with says to me, she goes, why don't you talk to Jane? She's a musician. You're a musician. Maybe you can bond over that kind of stuff and get me some good stuff so I can come up with some questions for the interview. The bunch of us are in the hotel room and she's got this big rig of keyboards and outboard gear and whatnot. And I'm kind of just squatting down next to her. She's sitting at one of the keyboards and she's showing me the gear. And all of a sudden I hear this laughter and I'm like trying to just pay attention to what she's saying, ignoring whatever they're talking about. And I finally, I turn around and I'm face to face with this tiger, literally 10 inches face away from the tiger's face. I was, (laughs) I can't even describe the feeling that I had, which was, my heart's pounding. And all I'm thinking of is I got to stay calm here. All I can think of is if you make a sudden movement, like you're going to lose a limb. And so I slowly start to stand up. And as I'm standing up, the tiger does what a lot of dogs do, goes straight for my crotch and opens its mouth. And I'm not exaggerating at all, puts its entire mouth around my thigh and is just playing. I mean, he's not doing anything antagonistic or whatever. But I feel the teeth, the incisors, like going into my leg. So I'm very calmly, I'm saying, this is not funny. This is not funny, please. I'm trying to be calm here. Would somebody please take this away from me? And so finally, after they left, the husband comes over and takes the cat away. And I turned to my two colleagues and I said, we're out of here. Like, let's get out of here. And I go back to my hotel room and I had like a, an inch blood blister on my thigh from this thing biting into my leg. And so I offer that just because I think a big part of Being in business for yourself is learning to just stay calm, look straight into the eye of the tiger and just be confident that you're going to get out alive. (laughs) That's kind of my attitude that I just keep on focusing in on the positive and looking for new ways to innovate and to do things smarter and better and try to have fun at the same time and not worry too much about thinking about where it's all heading, just kind of putting one foot in front of the other.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's important, especially staying calm at that point in time during your story. But I think the main thing that comes off is the confidence thing that you were talking about earlier, too. Even when the dentist was acting like you knew everything and maybe you didn't felt like you knew anything yet. You're not going to give up like, hey, I just got started because that's not going to help your case at all. But I mean, he must have thought you had that confidence. If you don't believe in yourself and have that confidence then no one else is going to as well for you. Well, if Thomas, if anyone wants to say thank you for doing the interview and wanted to reach out to you, or maybe they want to be an agent at your Resources Real Estate, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
0: Probably by email. Our website is resourcesrealestate.com. And my email is tom at resourcesrealestate.com. So that's T-O-M at resources, plural, com.
1: Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Thank
0: you. I appreciate the time and appreciate you indulging me.
1: Hello and hola! Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it and want to show us a little support, then we would love for you to leave us a five-star review. It helps other potential listeners enjoy this fabulous show just like you. And it'll take less than 69 seconds to do it. I promise. And if you're looking for more episodes that are dealing with the real estate industry, well, then try out episode 15 with Jillian Hellman or episode 21 with Bill Lyons or episode 30 with Steve Wayne. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next episode. Are you tired of building your business alone? If so, I'm putting together mastermind groups with our listeners so we can help each other grow our businesses. How do you join? Well, first off, you have to stop being a cheap ass. And you do that by joining our Patreon membership, which you can do by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. So what are you going to learn in these mastermind groups Well, you're going to come to the table with issues you're having in your business, and you're going to get real feedback from other business owners about what you can do to fix those problems. And I've only got a few more spots open for these mastermind groups, so if you're tired of growing your business alone, and you want feedback on how to improve your business, well, this is the group for you. So to become part of this group, first you have to be a Patreon member. And you do that by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. That's P A T R E O N. And again, spots are going to be limited, so don't miss out on this opportunity.
0: Good stuff, Austin. Really really appreciate the chat. And
1: that's it, a piece of advice made this whole call worthwhile for me.